The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Holly, I will say this, perhaps the busiest man that I know, and we finally have made this happen. I kind of feel like he's a Christian media mogul. Is Ooh, that is that too bold to word. say? Because I, I feel it. like it's accurate. If, if Billy guys. was a UFC fighter, it would be Billy, the Christian media mogul. Oh, <laughs> you, you guys are really building this up. I mean, this is exciting. <laughs> Continue. All right. Well, he's uh, an, an author, a podcaster, a journalist, a creator. And there's probably a lot of things that I'm forgetting. Uh, Billy Hallowell, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for saying yes and making yeah. time for us. <laughs> oh, no, I'm excited. We had such a good conversation before we even got to start, too. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> the first question and one of the most important ones that we will ask you is uh, who are you and where did you come from? That's a good that's a good question. So you said my name is Billy um, and I'm a journalist. You know, I've been working in media for a long time now for since I was 15 and I actually started really young, which I know sounds almost kind of funny and strange, but um, you know, God just sort of led me on this path. I was born in Rochester, New York, which is not all that far from the Canadian border. I grew up going to Niagara Falls all the time, you know, didn't even realize that Canada was another country for the longest time until I was like 12. And I'm like, wait, that's an, I'm going to another country all the time. Um, (laughs) So, you know, but but yeah, grew up in a Christian home, always just kind of had a passion for media. Just God kind of put it in me, journalism and media and even entertainment and storytelling. And so um, that kind of took me on a, a very strange journey into the faith world. Again, I grew up as a Christian, but kind of entering into the faith media space, which, to be honest, was not something that I saw for myself. But, you know, God had other plans. <laughs> Were you that four-year-old that had the tape recorder and uh, you would record your own radio show? <laughs> I had the talk boy. I don't know if you guys remember those from like Home Alone. I'd record yep. people on that and, you know, would create newspapers at school, you know, little magazines with my friends and stuff. So it was always just something that was kind of there. And and now, like the older I get, the more I realize that obviously God puts things in our hearts and sometimes it happens really young. I can kind of see that now, which is which is amazing in light of, you know, where he's brought me. You are uh, around the same age that myself and Holly are. So we kind of have all grown up in this time of where media was and there was no internet. And, you know, we had uh, uh, tape players into CDs and to MP3s. So seeing that you had this heart for media, was it, okay, I got to find out how to get into it. And you had no other plans? No, because, you know, I sort of fell into this when I was 15 the Columbine shooting happened. Right. And I lived in New York. I didn't live in Colorado. I was nowhere near it, but there was something about that event. And maybe it's because I was, you know, a freshman in high school. I was you know, just sort of realizing that the world has these things happen in it and that, you know, life is really precious. And it really shocked me and it made me want to do something. And, and, you know, as a kid, I'm thinking, what can I do? I'm going to start a local talk show. You know, I had this whole plan just because I wanted to bring people in to talk about these ideas. And that plan failed. That was not a success. But I met a lot of people along the way who encouraged me, why don't you start a website? And that's Hmm. when, you know, as you talk about technology, that's when things where people were starting to build their own websites. And so it was called Teen Web Online. That was the name of the website. And it was really about fighting you know, racial discrimination and violence, you know, school violence. And I was trying to kind of find my way in bringing my faith into addressing some of these, some of these issues. So that was a starting point. 
I took it really seriously and it started to grow. And before long, I was speaking in schools and I was bringing Columbine survivors in to speak and you know, started a number of events that, that came off of that. And so it really was the launch point. I went to school for journalism after that, and I was still speaking and traveling and doing things while I was in college for journalism. So to kind of answer your question, it, it just sort of like God set it all up and it just started flowing and happening. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll do something else. Maybe it'll stop. And it just never did. You know, it's kind of interesting. At any point were your parents like, OK, enough with this uh, media stuff. <laughs> Doctor, lawyer, maybe? <laughs> a lot of people are like, you know, you can't make any money if you work in the media. And that wasn't even you're not thinking about that when you're you're, you're not no. going to be able to do this. There was a lot of that, you know, because mm-hmm. writing is a hard field to break into. Media is a hard field to break into. And at the time, there was sort of this shift in my mind. And I'm happy to talk about kind of where I was faith wise. I grew up in a Christian home, but I think a lot of my faith was sort of in my mind at that point. It hadn't really reached my heart yet. And so my obsession became politics. I thought I want to be a commentator on politics. I want to talk about what's going on in the country. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was sort of like my solution for everything. Right. So as I was navigating through all this, I started kind of transitioning into going to Fox News and doing these weekly online, you know, debates with other people at Fox. That was my real entryway into into sort of the media and kind of looking at the world. Unfortunately, I think at the time, more so through the lens of politics first and not gospel first. And and that's been reversed now, thankfully, in my life. But at that point, that was kind of where I was. I, I hear that sometimes a lot of journalists are like, oh, I'm going to find the truth and I'm going to get to the bottom of the truth. Was that where you figured that, hey, I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to get to the truth of things? I wanted to do that, but I will say, you know, you and this is the problem right now with some of the technology we have, right? Look at social media. Look at you're rewarded for saying the most awful things. <laughs> like who gets rewarded? The most shocking thing gets rewarded or the most controversial thing. And so it's so easy. And I actually really feel like I kind of fell into this to a degree, not fully, because thank God when I was doing the Fox thing, my next job was working at The Blaze, which I loved. It was a great The Blaze is a political website, news website here. And I worked there for almost six years. I was the faith editor. And so it was funny. I went for the interview and I'm like, I want to be a political writer, you know, and the editor's like, well, we have an evening position open for evening editor, which I did not want to do, or we have the faith editor position. And I, again, I was a believer my whole life. So I thought, well, okay, I guess I'll do that. And it was the best decision ever. And it, but it kind of, so I kind of was still in this world though. If I say things, people are going to pay attention, right? So what can I say that's going to get their attention? And that is, I think, not just for the secular world, I think for the church, this is a real danger. We can really get ourselves in trouble when when we fall into that sort of reward system, right, that, that the world operates by. And so there was a journey kind of out of that. But I would say that that, you know, that was a struggle for me. And I'm sure people, you know, listening to this right now, it's probably a struggle for, for a lot of us. Was there a moment where you just that come to Jesus moment, so to speak, where you're like, you know what, I, I do need to stick with the truth? Yeah, no, there definitely was. And I started kind of finding myself saying, okay, well, if we're going to be believers and be authentic believers, then, you know, we should be wedded to the truth. It shouldn't be, you know, obviously I had a worldview and my worldview was a more conservative worldview. And I thought, okay, everything needs to fit into this. And that's not how life works. Sometimes your side is wrong, or Mm. sometimes the situation's a little murkier than, you know, a black or white situation. So, I would say there were a couple of stories. There's one story that I covered that really, and I, I've only shared this story one other time, 
um, recently, but it was it was a guy who I had found the story on another outlet. It was a guy who had had a relationship with a, a female preacher and it was kind of I don't remember all the details. It was inappropriate in some way and it became a headline. There was some legal. I don't remember all the details, but but the reason I remember the story and this was kind of a moment for me was because I wrote the story and recapped what was out there. And I got an email from the person who was in the story, the guy. And he said, you know, I just want to let you know. And he wrote a really nice email. It wasn't, you know, hateful or anything. But, you know, when people search my name now, this is what shows up, right? This is the story that shows up. And is there anything you can do to help me? You know, and we exchanged a bunch of emails, but it was just kind of this eye-opening moment. And it might even sound silly to you guys, but where I was like, wow, what I'm actually doing or saying has an impact on people. And so not that that shouldn't have been a story or shouldn't have been, but it made me rethink, how do I tell a story? What stories do I really want to be telling, right? What really matters as Christians, everything that we're doing, we should be doing it obviously to honor Christ. But for me, as, as a journalist, I should be pointing people toward at least information, but in a broader scope, toward Jesus. Right. And so realizing that I needed to maybe adjust some of the things that I was doing and how, and how I was doing them. Fake news seems to be one of those catchphrases. Now, how do we, with all the different media, with all the different things that we get bombarded with, find the truth that is out there? I mean, a great example of this would be, well, first, let me start with the answer to the direct question. The answer, I believe, (laughs) unfortunately, is you really have to read everything now. And who has time for that? That's a real struggle Mm. for people. You know, if I'm you know, here here in the U.S., we have MSNBC, which is liberal. We have Fox News, which is conservative. We have CNN, which I think a lot of people would say has skewed much more progressive than it used to be. Um, it used to be more middle of the road. So you have all these different people speaking into things. And I will tell you, I know people who only watch Fox. I know people who only watch MSNBC and CNN. And I will have conversations with them. And it's as though I'm in two different worlds, right? I mean, they've watched every night the newscast and this is what they feel is happening. And a lot of times, neither of them are really accurate because they're they're not hearing the other side of that issue or understanding why maybe something happened. So you have to really look at everything. And I've tried to, to do that more and more. And again, it's tough. There's not a lot of time to do that. The the other thing though, the problem is that the way, and I wish journalists would approach things from the truth first, right? A lot of the headlines recently have been saying that, you know, Donald Trump praised, and this is just an example, and I'm not here to defend any politician. I'm just giving an example. Donald Trump praised Vladimir Putin as brilliant, you know, genius, whatever. And when you, then you have to pull the transcript up. I literally go back to everything now and look at the transcript of it because- I want to understand what was said. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. And you often will find there's a greater context to what is being said. It's not the full story or there's something else. And that's the that's the real danger, though, because if we and and as Christians, for Christians, especially if you're only going to look at one thing and one perspective, that's a really bad way to go through life in terms of like, okay, well, I don't understand why my neighbor believes what he or she believes because I haven't even looked to understand it. I don't say look to understand it so that your perspective changes, but if I want to have a very solid argument on why I believe what I believe, it's really healthy to know why people don't believe it and why they believe other things. 
I found that to be the case at colleges and universities, which, you know, here they're very, it's very, very interesting. You know, one viewpoint is allowed and another one isn't. Well, that's not good for anybody, right? So anyway, I could go on and on, but there's a lot there. We really have to be discerning and look at as much information as we can now. Is it easier now or more difficult as a journalist to find those truths because you have TV, newspaper, internet, Twitter, Instagram, Tikitaka, and people just are so bombarded by all of that. It should be easier because you just listed all these things, right? I feel like it's so much harder to discern the truth because, you know, back in the day, everybody was a primary audience. They saw something happen. They either watched it or they listened to it while it was happening. Now we've got secondary audiences and it just goes on and on and on. And in the middle of all that, there's so much commentary and conversation. And by the end of it, you're like, well, wait, what what is really going on here? Because so many of many of these outlets are actually presenting things through a lens. And here's the deal. I have no problem with a lens that has a bias. If you're a Christian media outlet, that's amazing. Christian radio outlet. But when you don't when you're not open about what you are right, this is where the problem comes in. Christian radio outlets and Christian, we're open about who we are. We will say, this is what we believe. And people know yeah. that. But when you're walking around saying, I don't have a bias, there's nothing going on here. And yet you're only presenting something in one way. That's where it makes it murky and difficult. And we've created these echo chambers as well, especially mm. with uh, social media. You want somebody to agree with your viewpoint. You've got different channels to click into and the algorithms feed that. It's a very hard time to be discerning with what you're intaking. Absolutely. And and not only is it a hard time to be discerning about what you're intaking, there's really so much going on in the world of, hey, we don't like what you're saying. We don't like what you believe. We're going to sort of contain it or constrain it, or we're going to ban you from social media. I mean, the, this whole discussion of people's rights to have an opinion that you don't like I mean, I was I was brought up and taught in journalism school, you know, every opinion, you know, we don't have to like it or endorse it, but you allow every opinion and then the strongest opinion wins, right? You don't sort of walk around and say, oh, we're going to prevent you from having an opinion. We're going to make sure your opinion isn't heard at all. And again, I would go back to college campuses because I would often talk, you know, with students and, and I'm a professor too. So I interact with students who will come to me privately and say, I have a viewpoint on gender or whatever, and I'm afraid to share it. I don't feel comfortable sharing it. Can I share it in your class? Can I give a speech on it? Absolutely. You have every right to do that. And the best argument will win. And the thing that has kind of disturbed me to a degree is sort of watching. And again, a lot of the, a lot of the students in colleges here, they're far more liberal or progress or progressive here. If you ban any other perspective from being around those students, how do they ever refine what they believe? How do you even mm. understand why you believe what you believe? So just to kind of piggyback off of what I what I said before, but the echo chambers, they just kind of feed into all of this. And I think there's this strange and, and I think it's a cultural shift kind of obsession with the self. Right. And the obsession with the self has led us to believe that once we've been in these echo chambers for a certain amount of time, that we're suddenly entitled to never hear anything that we disagree with, right? It's like, oh, no, 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 I'm, you, don't, you have no right to say any, I don't even want to hear it. And that's a really dangerous place to be. And, and that's, I think that's really where we are right now. As a journalist, though, how do you navigate the whole cancel culture thing? Because as radio people, we could just not talk about it. But as a journalist, it's kind of like you need to talk about those things. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, there were people who were talking about, let's, okay, let's talk about COVID for a minute. This is an example. There were people who were floating the idea that maybe COVID came from a lab, right? This was, and let's go back a year. Sure. They were treated as though they were conspiracy theorists. They were banned from social media. They were told, you know, there were people whose posts were banned and they were punished. And then flash forward a few months and suddenly, well, maybe we don't know. Maybe it came from a lab. Maybe it didn't. And suddenly those people aren't conspiracy theorists anymore. You know, how do you navigate that? It's, it's a mm. really tough thing. My as a Christian, my belief is that obviously everything we approach, you know, we're told by Jesus, love God love others. People. The love God part, people like to erase that part. It's sort of oh, just love others. Well, if you're not telling people <laughs> the truth, then you're not loving them. If you're not giving them the truth, then you're not being loving. You're actually lying to people. And mm. so unfortunately, a lot of the issues on which truth is required and we need to be giving it to people are the issues that can get you in trouble. And so how do you navigate it? You tell the truth. I mean, right now, my area of focus is, is telling people stories. You have to be bold and tell the truth, but you got to do it in, in a loving way and be willing to listen to other perspectives. So you navigate it. I mean, by talking about it and we're talking about a lot, I talk about a lot of things that people probably don't want me to, but I always try to make sure and I'm not perfect that I do it in a way that nobody can come back and say, you weren't loving, you were nasty, you were no. mean, because that's why people don't hear the Christian message so often is we don't always deliver it with the right level of grace and love. We talk about um, pure flicks or or edify or podcasting or journalism, but you do also have that whole family thing. How do you find the balance between you being involved and having your hand in so many cookie jars and also looking after and being there for your family? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, the balance has always been tough. Interestingly, I, I think the last year and a half, I've been the busiest that I've ever been, but I think I've done a better job. I'm not perfect at it. Mm than ever. And here the pandemic helped because I went from having to go places, <laughs> full disclosure and admission. I have not been in Manhattan for a meeting or anything in two years this month. And I'm 38 miles away from Manhattan. It freed me up to kind of do everything from my home office. And so that, that was huge. And, you know, I take my kids to school every morning. I pick them up every day and, you know, I sometimes have to go to work and, you know, after, but, you know, I'm with them and, you know, we had, Back in, in August, my six-year-old was diagnosed with a very severe scoliosis. And that was something that really kind of brought us together even more because we have a lot of doctor's appointments and a lot of things we need to do in therapy. And, you know, so I really try to make that time first because at the end of the day, it's great to do all of these things. But, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you're not looking back and saying, gosh, I wish I could have done another podcast. You're right. looking back and thinking about your loved ones and what God's done with your life and the people you've reached. And so I really try to keep that in perspective. And again, I'm not perfect. You could ask my wife, but I do, <laughs> I really have, I really have tried. Um, and, and it's been again, really rewarding to have that time with them. Do you find that you're looking at things different or maybe you're a different journalist because of your kids? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I try to tell them, I mean, kids don't even care, but you try like, here's what my job is. Here's what I do. And they're like, yeah, okay. I don't care. 
I think that I, I feel like, especially when they ask difficult questions, my nine-year-old's asking mm. some questions that I didn't think about until I was, you know, 18 because of the world that we're living in. Right. And so being able to remember that and understand that you almost see, and maybe this sounds strange, but you almost see the state of culture through your kids many times based on, you know, who they're interacting with and where they are. And our kids are in public school and we live in a very secular area. And so we spend a lot of time talking to them and it, it keeps you grounded when you have to figure out how do you distill these difficult topics for little kids who maybe their minds aren't fully prepared to grasp these subjects, right? So it's um, that's been amazing and interesting and a fun challenge, but parenthood changes everything. I mean, I think that it really does, if, you, if you're trying to do it the right way, take you from the focus on yourself, right? And it, and it forces you to put that focus on selflessness. And that is just an incredible thing for every human being. But I think, um, you know, for me, the other thing is it shows when you see how much you love your kids, it helps you understand how much God loves all of us. Right. And so it's such an amazing and beautiful picture of, you know, his parenthood to us. I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and I were going through the exact same thing. And it was very interesting when my six-year-old said, my friend thinks that we came from monkeys. I grew up at a Christian private school where it was just conformity of these thoughts was what was expected of you. So I never really engaged in creationism versus evolution. So I'm like, how do I talk to a six-year-old about the differences? Wow. That, that was hard for me. But just as parents, as you mentioned, it's a game changer. And so for you being in the media and, uh, and your kid's not caring right now, but like, what are you doing to help them develop the discernment as to what they're watching so they can mm. be wise with the content that they're consuming? That's such a that's such a great question. And we just had the conversation, no joke, last night about monkeys. This has been an ongoing conversation because <laughs> we'll my, nine notes. <laughs> my nine-year-old has been asking me this. And so I could tell you what I told her last night. And sometimes you're just on the fly, like trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, but she's been asking lots of questions, and that was one of them. And I have to tell you, I heard her before I talk about what you watch, I heard her the other day on the phone on her iPad. And you know, we monitor what they're doing very closely on their iPads, talking to a friend from school. And the friend was saying, well, I feel like everything that God did, you know, it was just by chance. It was like an accident, right? Like, yeah, he might've done all those things in the Bible, but I think it was all accidental. And these are like little kids trying to make sense of, you know, difficult things. And it was so interesting to hear my daughter responding and doing her best. She was like a little apologist. She didn't have all the answers. <laughs> I and love she didn't it. Even know, you know, she didn't even know, but she was, and that gave me, you know, hope to know, okay, like we we're leading her in the right direction and, and she's nine. Right. But she'll figure this out. It's a lot of, you talked about content. I mean, that to me, one of my favorite things, and I'm, I'm still a spokesperson with Pure Flix, is to look at, you know, a company like that putting out positive content, everything you watch, and this goes for us too. And I think it's so easy to only focus on kids. Every single thing we put into our minds and we watch and we listen to has an impact on us. And I think a lot of us, I know I've been guilty of this, have been willing to compromise a lot of things to be entertained. Oh, well, mm -hmm. we're adults. It doesn't matter, Right. Um, but but it does matter. And there's actually research, which is super interesting, showing that when you watch a lot of, you know, violence and a lot of sex and a lot of you know negative content, that you're more likely to accidentally let your kids watch things they shouldn't, that your threshold mm. is not where it should be, which is really interesting. And it makes sense. We all get desensitized. But for our kids, we actually just installed this thing in our house 
where we can control how much time they're on tablets. We can control what they have access to. And, you know, it's a pretty, it's called the circle tool. It's really interesting. So we've been using that, um, but we are really careful. Like any show they're going to watch, I look up what is, what is in that show? What are they going to be looking at? What are they going to be watching? And some people might say that's, you know, being a helicopter parent or being, I don't really care. At the end of the day, <laughs> my job is to churn out children who have a biblical worldview. And how am I going to do that if everything now they're not only watching Christian content, but they're not watching negative things. We look at everything, you know, and we really make a decision around it. And it annoys my nine-year-old like, uh, you know, cause there are some times that I say no. Right. And you have to be willing to do that. And, and at the end of the day, I want to know that I did everything I could to make sure they were protected. Cause here's the deal. If you think culture is crazy now in five years, if you had told me 10 years ago, that we're having the conversations we're having now, I would have laughed. Yeah. I can't imagine what they're going to be contending with in five years. Suddenly Encanto doesn't seem so terrible anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> All right. This is the Why Me Project podcast. So Billy, can you share with us one of your Why Me moments? Yeah. Oh, goodness. I probably have have a million of them. Let me think. <laughs> Let me think. Let me think. Um and this one's going to seem self-serving, but I think it actually, it's, it's a moment for me that really woke me up. You know, you were asking about different moments of sort of clarity. And I had written a book that I was really, really passionate about. And it was a book about actually a lot of what we're talking about. It was about Hollywood and media and universities and how they only come from one perspective. And that perspective tends to be a very secular anti-Christian perspective, um, you know, or, or a very progressive perspective. And I was so excited about this book. It was all about me though. You know, I had written this thing. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to talk about it. And I'd had a foreword from a really well-known person. And I just felt like I had kind of poured all, everything into this thing. Right. And it was a real, why me sort of eye opening experience for me because the book was a total failure and it was one of the biggest professional failures that I had and it failed and it didn't sell any copies hardly. And it was just a big flop. And I was so depressed and upset after because I had put all of my value in this thing. And I remember being so frustrated and like, God, why did you put this opportunity on my lap? You know, of course, in those moments, you have no ability to see bigger pictures, right? Or to recognize mm -hmm. that God might be doing something or trying to teach you a lesson maybe and show you something. And so it was a real moment for me that showed, look, you know, when you're not lined up with God's will for your life and you're not seeking him first, things are not always going to go the way you want them to go. And even when you do those things, they may not go the way you want them to go, but you have that peace and that rest and assurance in him when you're abiding in him. I wasn't doing that. And so it was a real eye opener. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to do anything again in media. Like it was such a disaster and, and, you know, God does amazing things and it was fine, but um, it was a real learning experience for me. His resume consists of author, podcaster, journalist, and now Why Me Project guest, BillyHallowell, uh, <laughs> com at BillyHallowell, H-A-L-L-O-W-E-L-L -L -L, on all the socials, my friend. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for having me. I can't imagine having to wear so many hats, but if there was a guy who probably does it the best, Billy is that guy. 
He's just so calm, cool, and collected. And thank you to you for listening. As always, whether you're downloading on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whether you're reaching out and following us on Instagram or Twitter, uh, becoming our Facebook friend. Yeah, exactly. We so appreciate hearing from you and, and the fact that you've been on this almost five-year journey with us. I that's, know. That's, a, that's a lot. But yes, do you we, can... F- do we get cake? Um, Maybe. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on that. But yeah, you can catch us wherever you get your podcast. You can catch us on Edify as well. There you are. And at faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah.